I always appreciate the chance to get up here and share, um, but I don't take it for granted. Kind of treat every time like it might be my last, and maybe I stop getting invitations. So I'll do the best I can. Okay. Actually, no. My full intention this morning, just to be open and honest in front of y'all, is I just want to be a good steward of what the Lord's put in my heart to share this morning. So if I can do that, then zoff me, and the Holy Spirit's together going to accomplish what He wants to. Or I don't, I don't. No matter what, it's not on me. So. Um, cause I do feel like this, uh, have a little bit of a tricky conversation to work through this morning. Um, so again, I'm just going to try and be a good steward of what the Lord put on my heart. Cause we're going to talk about judgment. <laughs> Super fun. All right. Yeah. Corey. Great. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, but let me, I'm going to set the stage by talking about the current state of the church. Okay. And two different things that I want to talk about specifically as it pertains to, Judgment. So the first one has to do with where we are technologically, not just the church, but the whole world, right? So we are at this place where, uh, you know, now really things just happen instantaneously. That's just the nature of the world that we live in. And Oliver, you won't remember a time when it wasn't that way. But, you know, I remember like doing youth groups and talking to them about like how big of a thing Domino's 30 minute delivery was. You know, and it's like, it's 30 minutes or less. That's the culture we live in now. Is they're going to get you your pizza in 30 minutes? And they stopped because of the accident. But, you know, you kind of get the, it's just, things have changed, right? I remember the first time that we had a computer of any kind in the house. You know, and now I got a computer on me all the time that's like significantly more powerful than, than the thing that we had back there. And the first time I got AOL and I was able to send an email, it's like, this is miraculous. And now... You know, email is considered too slow, you know, which just blows my mind. There was this Rutgers study about how email is out of date, you know, and I just, it's hard to fathom because to me, it's still like, it's still, you know, you still think in terms of like snail mail versus email, but now it's like, if you're not talking text messages or Snapchat, then you're, you're out of date. But one of the things that immediacy allows us to do is it allows us to make judgments immediately. So something happened this past week that I was, th- I was planning on talking about this anyway. And then this example happened in the news that I just thought I'd share. Last Saturday at the um, March for Life walk in Washington, D.C., I think. Um, I don't know. If, I'm sure a lot of you all have seen this. But there was this picture that was put out with a headline. Because isn't, isn't that the kind of culture that we're in right now? Like captions. Here's a picture and a caption and then that's it. That's all we're going to work with. So the picture was of um, a young high school student, you know, wearing his red Make America Great hat. Again, have you all seen this picture? You know, having an interaction with a Native American elder. And the first, like, report that came out was about harassment. And so with, like, it went viral. Check out this dude harassing this other dude. And then, you know, people started calling for... The celebrity gets on Twitter and starts calling, like, we need to get out the information from this boy so that we can all harass him. Right, his family and him have been receiving death threats. They had to close his school down for at least a day because of protesters theirs and threats, based on a headline and a picture. You know, as time went by, the the video of the actual event that the picture was taken from came out, and it's just way more complicated than a headline and a picture can give credence to. But where we're at culturally is we tend to feel very comfortable making snap judgments on the spur of the moment about things. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just dare to say anything about that situation and be right or wrong because I wasn't there. 
even if I was there, I've not had conversations with anybody involved. So how do I know really what was going on? But just culturally speaking, we're at a place where we feel very comfortable saying, oh, this happened. This is how I feel about it. I'm going to tweet it. And that's my official statement. Um, another state of the church and how we have to do, how we feel about judgment is um, just a different trajectory of how we're, we've gotten to where we are is I think that we very much reject the notion of judgment. In fact, I would go as far as to say that judgment tends to be a dirty word. We don't, we don't like the notion of judgment. We don't like the notion that somebody might weigh our actions and decide if our actions are good or bad. We're just not comfortable with that. I think a lot of that has to do with a rebound from 20, 30, 40 years ago when culturally speaking, it was very much more acceptable to, you know, blanketly tell people how you felt about those actions. And I think the church, broadly speaking, wasn't very good at managing that. Um, Just think about an example of um, my, uh, like my grandmother as an example, kind of old school and how many, I was going to say conversations um, about hell she had with my cousin, but maybe like warnings is maybe a better term. And my cousin was a good guy, you know, but if he listened to his music too loud or if he was, you know, playing a game that wasn't based on the Bible, you know, my grandma was having conversation with him about, you know, the wages of sin. And it just, that's just the context that she grew up in. And so I, I realize that a lot of us have experienced that sort of interaction with what it means to be judged or what it means for somebody to look at our actions and tell us, you know, right or wrong, how they feel about it. And that's not comfortable. So we're going to, we're going to work through that a little bit today. And, um, you know, I, I think just, it's funny how much it pops up. You know, even our, our marketing now, like, totally pays attention to that. You know, that's why Planet Fitness has a judgment-free zone, right? We want to be able to go there and not feel judged. They recognize that that appeals to people, and that, so that's why they created this environment. Um, or if you go to get, you know, like, low-cal ice cream, it's, like, you know, branded guilt-free. You know, dessert companies have totally, like, jumped on to this notion that we want to do what we want to do, and we don't want to feel bad about it. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just, it's part of our culture now. It's almost like this identity that we've, we've taken a hold of. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Uh, we're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter seven today. So if you're you know, so inclined, you can go ahead and open there and I'll come in and out. But the first verse you all know, but I feel like this cultural relationship that we have with the nature of judgment has, has caused us to misuse that. And you all know what judgment or what um, Matthew 7, 1 is, judge not, right? Lest you be judged. We all know that. We have that memorized. We have it down pat and we're ready to use it at a moment's notice if we need to. Oh yeah, well, judge not. <laughs> it's super easy to do a disservice though to the Bible when we pick and choose what portions we want to read to people or what we want to believe or what we want to follow. So let's, let's have conversation about that. I have this notion that our dislike for judgment 
really has to do with this emotion that we feel. And it may not be as, as heinous as I'm about to make it out. I recognize that. But I do think that the devil loves the notion of us feeling condemned. I've talked before in messages when I've, I've spoken here about how the devil is a counterfeiter. You know, the counterfeit that he offers us in this case is when we've done something wrong, that we would feel awful about it. We're still recognizing that there's something wrong, but we close off and we say things like, oh, I'm an idiot, or that was stupid. Nobody likes to feel that way, right? So we, we reject that notion, but the feeling of condemnation is really an awful feeling. But it's doubly effective, I think, for the enemy's plan of keeping us separated from the Lord, because then we turn inwards. And the focus is on us and our negative emotion. Woe is me. The problem is that in the midst of that, there's no growth. We can't develop. We can't move forward. We can't partner with the Lord on what's next because we're so caught up on focusing on this, on how we feel. And it's an emotional thing, right? Really, the goal would be in those situations that we might feel conviction Instead of condemnation, which is the thing that the enemy is counterfeiting. Whereas when we feel convicted, we could recognize, oh, that was wrong. You know, whether it be just a choice that you made or, oh, I have sin in my life. But conviction allows you to receive from the Holy Spirit and recognize how to move forward. Lord, I don't want that to be a part of my life anymore. I'm going to change my mind about it. I'm going to grow and I'm going to move on. So if the enemy can shut us down from that, then really the enemy shuts us down from the opportunity for feeling growth. So really, you know, what is it? Is this life that we're living, is it really supposed to be a judgment-free zone? You know, like Planet Fitness tells us, is that really the goal? I have notes, which is probably good for me. Um, I'm just going to really quick kind of work through Jesus as a template for thinking through the concept of what it means to look at somebody's actions and weigh them right or wrong. Because another place in scripture that we, I've heard people misuse in reference to Matthew 7, 1, which is judge not lest you be judged, is, um, y'all know John 3, 16, right? So John 3, 17, you know, 3, 16 is, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3, 17 is for Jesus did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And people will be like, well, Jesus didn't even come to the world to judge it. Because that's the word that they use that is um, translated as condemned is actually the word judge, right? Looking at something and weighing whether it's right or wrong. But then if we look past that, um, you know, it says, I'm just going to read really quick. You don't have to look this one. Just John three sixteen and on. Um, the next verse is, and this is the judgment that happens. Right, so, you know, we pull something out of context and we quote it to somebody because we don't like what they're telling us, but we fail to consider the whole context. So we recognize that in Jesus's coming, that judgment is involved in that. We know that to be true. And so we can't quote it. Somebody be like, well, Jesus didn't come to judge us. What we can say confidently is that that's not why Jesus comes. That's not the sole purpose of Jesus's coming. His sole purpose is to provide salvation in the midst of judgment that will happen. Well, thank you, Jesus, for that, right? Um, but can you imagine a situation where like Jesus goes into 
you know, it's triumphal entry into Jerusalem at Passover and, you know, people are singing Hosanna and he goes into the temple the next day. And he's like, well, guys, you know, I know you're here, you know, the money lenders who've turned the house of God into a get rich quick scheme. Can you imagine Jesus going there? Well, guys, I don't want to judge your actions, you know, but maybe, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. No, like he turns over tables in my mind. Whenever I picture this, it's like an action movie and like dudes are getting body slammed. Like, cause Jesus is full of righteous indignation. I doubt that he actually body slammed anybody, but it seems cool in my head, but he was upset, right? Or can you imagine a situation where Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees and where he's like, Oh, Hey Pharisees, you know, I don't, I don't want to judge your actions, but you know, gee, maybe you ought to not be doing what you're doing. I just thought I'd pull out Matthew 23, which I don't know that I've ever paid attention, attention to. It's not something that often gets, you know, pulpit exposure, but here's, you know, it's called like the seven woes to the Pharisees. But so like verse 13 is woe to you, you hypocrites. Verse 15, woe to you, you hypocrites. Verse 16 is woe to you. Verse 23 is woe to you, you hypocrites. 25, woe to you, you hypocrites. Like Jesus is just railing on them. This is the same section where then he says, you brood of vipers. You know that Jesus is weighing them and saying what you're doing is not right. So if just looking at, you know, Jesus's life, we recognize that, that Jesus at least has the capacity to look at somebody's actions and to weigh them. So what about that Matthew seven that we were looking at? Judge not lest you be judged. Again, I'd say we're fantastic is pulling things out of context. So if you have Matthew seven open, um, you know, jumping down a little bit, I'm going to skip it and I'm going to come back. You know, at the end of that section, verse six is, um, don't cast your, don't give to a dog what is holy and don't cast your pearls before swine. Like whoever reads that first verse out of context has obviously not read the end of that. Because how in the world would I have the capacity to know who's a dog and who's a swine if I don't have the capacity to judge their actions? Like, that's what it's, I'm, I'm giving a commandment to, not pass or throw my pearls before swine, right? I need to be able to judge if somebody's a pig or not, (laughs) right? But then, you know, even when people, they really dig in and they're like, thou shall not judge, you know, don't worry about the the speck in my eye. It's always that way, right? They're always the one with the speck and we're always the one with the plank. Don't worry about the speck in my eye when you've got a plank in your eye. But again, they haven't read the rest of that portion because what's the point of all that? I'm going to read it to you. It says, you hypocrite. Because first, you've got to take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. They stop at that portion when the expectation is, we got to take care of ourselves so we can help you. We got to get that speck out of your eye. But culturally speaking, we're not interested in that. We don't want people to worry about the speck in our eye. Mind your own plank, dude. And I think in general, a lot of that has to do with the way that we've been treated and we don't like it and we're not open to it. Um, you know, I might ask, you know, are we kind of big picture? Are we really then our brother's keepers? You know, what responsibility do we have for other people as the church? 
I'm going to read through a couple of verses. Um, Denise is going to just throw the references up here. And I'm going to read these. I had so many Bible verses that I printed up that I'm getting them confused. So this is James 5, 19 through, 19 through 20. It says, finally, as members of God's beloved family, we must go after the one who wanders from the truth and bring him back. For the one who restores the sinning believer back to God from the error of his waves gives back to his soul. You all know Matthew eighteen fifteen. Matthew eighteen fifteen principles. Anybody heard about that dealing with conflict? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not, take one or two more people with you. Right? So there's still this notion about how do you deal with somebody when they're making these choices? And then this is my favorite one. This is Galatians 6, 1. Um, Paul writes to the church. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Does that sound like it might be key? You know, the, the reality of the New Testament world, which we are still existing in, right? We haven't got to the end of the story yet. Is that this portion of God's story, his overarching big story is about the church. It's about community. You know, when Jesus says to Paul, you are the rock that I'm going to build this church on and all of hell is not going to stand against it. Right? The church. He didn't say that just to Paul. He doesn't say it just to you sit home alone and you can manage this on your own. That's just not the reality of the situation. That's not how Jesus set it up to be. We're set up to exist in community because in community, that's where growth is. Let's look at a microcosm of that. And I would use an example, um, the notion of iron sharpening iron, specifically in the context of marriage. I remember when, um, you know, Christy and I were doing the like pre, that's my wife, Christy, doing the pre-marriage stuff, you know, and the first time I came across that, I was like, what? She's going to like judge me and tell me I'm doing stuff that's not right. And I was super not excited about it. You know, and I was, uh, I was at this place in my life. I was 26 and I was at this dangerous place where I knew just enough to think that I knew enough. But wisdom doesn't exist there. So 12 years down the road, I'm a little wiser than I was right then. But, you know, I just thinking about like, if I hadn't let Christy speak into my life, where I would be as a person. If I wasn't, you know, if we hadn't been growing over these past 12 years, if I wasn't receptive to the notion that she might have insight into my life and my behavior, I'm in trouble. Super easy example, but I can't even imagine what kind of outfit I'd be wearing right now. I think when we first got married, it'd be camouflage shorts, cargo shorts, with flip-flops for sure, blue plaid button-up short sleeve shirt on top of the camo, and a bright red t-shirt, and that would be the cool thing that I was wearing. So fortunately for my life, that was easy to give up, you know, and let her, she picked out the shirt, for example. Thank you so much. Thank you. So... You know, I've grown, right? But in that sharpening, and then this morning I was telling her, she's sick, so she's not here. I was telling her that I was going to share that story. And she's like, well, you had that one thing going for you. I was like, I was like, that was it? 
great. Just the, just the one thing. Awesome. Glad we made it 12 years, honey. Um, it was really funny. And then she's like, no, no, I didn't mean that. But it was good. Um, but I get to wear nice blue shirts and look nice, and that's, that's helpful. She doesn't have to be embarrassed of me. But I think the notion that iron sharpens iron is an appropriate one, right? Because I think in the mix of how we interact with people who love us, who care for us, and who protect us, growth happens in those places. Let's look at the, like the extreme other, other version of that or the, the other option, maybe the, the ex- extremity. You know, over here we have close relationship, right? Husband, wife. And what's, what's the opposite of that? Some random person talking to you, which is super easy again now that we have, you know, social media exists the way that it does, right? I was actually, I was doing some research this week, just curious about um, social arguments online. And I was reading this study that when we're, when we um, are given new information, the part of our brain that processes that information is the same part of our part of our brain that processes danger. It's like alert, alert, something new is coming. And that's how our brain filters new information. And then when I was reading about this study that some people did, when you are presented with, sorry, if you strongly believe something and you're presented with facts that dispute your strongly held belief, it's more likely that you will believe that thing even more than you did before. It's almost like a fight or flight when our brain gets this information and it just holds on more strongly to what it had before. So I, so that, I say that to say that telling somebody online that what they believe is wrong probably is not the most super effective way of dealing with that person. Right? Because real change doesn't happen outside of a relationship. Another... Another example, you know, thinking back to my days at college, which was, you know, 20 years ago, but, um, you know, walking through the campus and there's the dude with the sign that says like, you're going to hell, you know, and believe it or not, but the responses that he was getting were not positive. You know, there weren't people falling on their faces, repenting, you know, and converting. It was just not a super effective way to convince people that Jesus loves them. I was also during that time, I was, I was on staff at a church and the Westboro Baptist church people showed up. You know, if you don't know who those people are, they are the ones who really, really hate homosexuals. Like they like will boycott military funerals. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but they do. And they have the, the signs, you know, God hates these people. So they show up to our church to protest. It's like, you are accomplishing nothing. Like, what are you doing? And it was just, it was just crazy stuff because real change doesn't happen outside of relationship. So if we're thinking about the way in which, you know, we actually want to speak to somebody and convey to them that the choices that they're making may or may not be good for them. That can really only happen in the context of relationship. And I think that's one of the things that we've gotten wrong all these years is we've tried to tell people what they're doing is wrong 
without being in relationship with them. And there's a second component of that that I think is just equally as important. And that's, we also have to have authority to do that. You know, I recognize right now I have an eight-year-old son and I am, he may not like it, but I'm the authority figure over him, right? I am aware because I've worked with high school students for just decades. I am aware there's a point in time where he may decide to rescind that authority from me. And where then at that point, speaking into his life may not be super helpful. You know how teenagers can get that way, right? But for now, you know, I'm in relationship with him and I have authority so I can speak into his life. I can say, don't do that. Usually it's involving to your sister or brother, right? <laughs> Change that to hit, punch, you know, whatever it is that, that they decide to do. But even then, even in the midst of all of that, we can't possibly speak into somebody's life about something that they're doing. And I, two things about that. So I guess there's four total, right? I think, you know, being in a relationship, having authority, but then we got to go back to Galatians 6.1, which says, again, brothers, if anyone is caught in transge- transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Right? How often do you learn well if somebody, you know, is browbeating you for a decision that you've made? And then the last thing is, again, back to uh, Matthew chapter 7 is, we can't even possibly think about doing this if we got a plank in our eye. You know, we've really got to deal with ourselves before we can be worried about other people. So I think this whole message, I think there's, there's a couple things that I think we can get out of it. You know, one is, I think we need to treat people better. Within the context of helping them. So I do think that calling people into accountability for their actions, I I think that's biblical. I think there's evidence that we've read through that we're a community and we need to grow together. And that's where growth happens. I think the other side is that it's super easy for us to shut off and to reject the notion that somebody else can help us grow. Because in the past, somebody has said something to us, not in a spirit of gentleness, not in a place of relationship, not in a place of authority. And they weren't worried about the plank in their own eye. But they said something to us that has caused us now to reject the notion that people can speak into our lives. And I'm sure that's happened to somebody in here. I really... As I was, think, you know, kind of working through these thoughts, I just, you know, I, I know people like that who are hurt, who have scar tissue because of the way that people maybe even decades ago dealt with them about their choices. So I think there's opportunity to move forward. If that makes sense or if that sounds familiar you know, I think there's opportunity to move forward because my biggest fear is in that place where we're not willing to let other people speak into our life. We grow stagnant. We don't move forward. 
there's no growth because we're not allowing other people to speak into our lives, to speak into those places that we need desperately somebody to speak into. You know, I was thinking about um, back when I was smart enough to, or I knew enough stuff to think that I knew enough stuff, but it wasn't enough. There was this time when I was, I was on staff at a church and I was making poor choices. And the choices that I made, they, they weren't like awful. They were just poor choices, but they really ruined my life. They ruined every friendship I had. They ruined my opportunity to work. I ended up moving out of the state of Iowa to get away from some poor choices. And thinking back, you know, I didn't have anybody in my life who once said, Corey, you're making bad choices. Because it's just the culture that I lived in where you don't, you don't judge somebody else's actions. You don't weigh in and, you know, merit what they're doing and tell them right or wrong. But had just one person in authority, you know, who I had given authority to because I was in a relationship with, in a spirit of gentleness said, Corey, that's a bad decision. You need to pick something else. I can't imagine how much heartache I would have been saved. Thankfully, the Lord works all things together together for the good of those who believe. And I ended up here and now I'm at River Life. And, you know, so hallelujah. But it wasn't a smooth road. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like, I think, I think there are times when my feelings have been hurt because of that. You know, thinking about it, these authority figures, like, didn't you love me enough to tell me that I was wrong? When I'm sure they felt the opposite. You know, well, I'm too nice to, uh, you know, I'm going to be nice to Corey, so I don't want to hurt his feelings. This is totally another example. But I also, like, years after going to high school, I heard a conversation about how, like, people used to address my body odor. And I was like, what? Like, nobody ever once told me this was a problem. Like, what in the world? Like, all my friends suck. Because really, up until eight years ago, I could not smell. So going through high school, I had no earthly idea because I could not smell. And had one person just said, you know, I'm not worried about hurting your feelings because I can speak in a spirit of gentleness out of a place of relationship and authority into your life, get some deodorant. (laughs) That would have been okay. We all, everybody would have benefited from that conversation. So, yeah, gosh, people are funny. So let me just kind of, you know, wrap up those things. I think judgment's a dirty word. So maybe we don't use that. But church, we're called to speak into people's lives. We're called to encourage. We're called to, you know, if the Holy Spirit is leading you, bring conviction into people's lives. When we're in relationship with them, when they've given us the authority to say those things to them. And when we have a spirit of gentleness, we can deal well with our peers and we can grow. There's growth there. And also on the other side, I just want to say, if you've been hurt because people are jerks and they took advantage of an opportunity to help you grow 
we can move forward from that today too. And I'd say it's probably worth forgiving them and moving on. And perhaps on the other side, if you've been that person who's spoken into somebody's life and it wasn't in a spirit of gentleness, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that you may need to apologize. And I think that's okay. Because in those moments, folks, is when growth happens. That's when we grow in what the Lord has from us. Because what's the alternative? Bad B.O.? <laughs> I don't know why I thought about that story, but like just one person could have been like, hey, Corey, listen, we need to have a chat. But nobody did. Dudes. Well, that's what I got, Ryan. Do you want to come up and transition us? So good. What an amazing practical word, right? I mean, just grab a hold of. Last Sunday, I wasn't here, and we were out of town, and I was hanging out with my family, and I was kind of making bad choices, maybe. Not bad choices, but, you know, doing some things that weren't apparently great. So my wife, whom I love and isn't in the room right now, um, was kind of not calling me out, but, you know, reminding me or making some comments. I remember at one point I was like, would you leave me alone? (laughs) And uh, I repented from that. But I'm taking away from this, too, that I need to give people space in my life to speak into my life, you know especially those people that do have relationship with me and authority in my life. And because I have this um, internal self doubt thing too, that I'll add to that, you know, not people haven't necessarily been really mean to me in my past. I've been really mean to myself and I can get really down really quickly. And so when I hear somebody say, Hey man, I can get broken and get defensive, you know, put up my guard so I'm taking that away, Corey, from this. And I just want to pray for us, if that's okay. Let me release some of this stuff to us and grab it if you want it. Because this is amazing, like practical, tactical, tangible things that we can do. So Lord, Lord, we forgive us. Forgive us for getting spun out. Forgive us from not receiving. Forgive us for saying things the wrong way or at the wrong time. Lord, but really launch us into a new future where we can speak into each other's life with those people that we're in community with, Lord. That we can speak into other people's lives, that we can have our lives spoken into. God, that we can move closer and closer to you. And Lord, that we can judge in the right spirit and release that in the right way because we know that you love us, Lord. Amen.